Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to Fever Dreams. Uh, my name's Will Summer. I'm a political reporter at The Daily Beast and the author of an upcoming book on QAnon for HarperCollins. And I'm Aswin Subtang, but please call me Swin. I'm a senior political reporter at The Daily Beast and co-author of the book Sinking in the Swamp. All right, here on Fever Dreams, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious and sometimes scary world of the American right as they continue to influence our politics. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, these grifters, and these influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Kelly, before we talk about your book launch day, or book launch week, I should put it, were you following what friend of the show... Mr. My Pillow Man, Mike Lindell, was doing over the weekend. <laughs> you know, following is always such a difficult proposition when it comes to Mike Lindell. You just kind of have to observe from afar, watch the meandering, a bit like a drunk driver. But I understand he's made some curious accusations of you. And Swin, I didn't know you were that powerful legally. Well, according to him, I am, which is flattering and way more than I deserve. But I don't think I can go with this one. Okay, just to catch up our listeners, over the weekend at a Texas political rally, Mike Lindell was up on stage doing his thing. And I think like you, Kelly Weil, I've seen him do his shtick, his routine, a number of times. And at the different cyber symposiums and the different rallies and even the different MyPillow-related commercials, a lot of it tends to bleed together. Like, it's a stand-up comedy routine, except deeply anti-democratic. I think that's fair to say, yeah. You know the stump speech at this point for the pillow man. Okay, so I saw on Twitter recently, I was not watching the rally live, but here is a quote that I saw that he said while on stage. First of all, the people he's talking to almost certainly have zero idea who I am, which is hilarious. It's it's very Trumpian because you're bringing up all these different media characters that the audience who's laughing around to it has zero idea what's going on. Graydon Carter's Vanity Fair after party is no longer hot. Go on. Exactly. That was this except about me. So, and I quote, I told Swin, you better get Dominion to hurry up and sue me or it's fake news. So they sued me. And they weren't calling her right. So I go, how am I going to get, how am I going to get in the news and get this out there? So I called up Swin at the Daily Beast. He's actually, uh, he will at least um, um, put in, you know, he'll do his hit job and he'll put in a quote and he won't, and he'll read it back to me. So I at least get one quote, right? And I go to Swin, I go, Swin, why don't you march on over to Dominion I said, isn't it something this, co- this country? You guys are attacking a MyPillow, 2,700 employees, USA made, and they said everybody's protecting this evil company called Dominion, and let's put Smartmatic and ES&S and the rest of them in there. Let's not forget, they're all the same. Um, but I, I said, why don't you go over there and be a journalist and say, why don't you sue, you know, ask them why they're not suing me, because I was begging, come on, sue me, Dominion, sue me. And uh, I didn't care. I want, and I don't, I wouldn't have a company anyway if we don't get our country back, it's over. So anyway, I went to, Swin goes popping over to Dominion, comes back, he says, yep, they're gonna sue you. I said, well, write your article. 
And he goes, and he, so he does. He puts, Dominions, it's eminent. They're gonna sue Mike Lindell. They didn't say my pillow, which they obviously, you know, they sued my pillow too. Well, anyway, three days go by. I go, Swin, I go, you better get over there and tell Dominion to hurry up and sue me or you're gonna be known as fake news. No. <laughs> so he did, and they sued me, and you know all that closely, and you work at the Daily Beast. Did you have any idea what the context here was? Or was this just a complete, like, debauched word salad? So this sounds like word salad. I think if I were to, like, reverse reconstruct it, he was trying to say that Dominion wouldn't have sued him for just, like, libeling them for a consecutive year if you hadn't told them to. Now, again, I don't know that you have that exact kind of clout with them, but that's what's being alleged here. I don't think I have that clout with anybody in my family or anybody I work with. I don't have that clout with <laughs> Jesse Cannon, our podcast producer. I don't think I would be able to get him to sue anybody, even if I tried. But OK, this is referring to something that took place. And I just looked up the date on the article, which is published on February 16th, 2021. So this was more than a year ago at this, this point. This is vintage, yeah. This is, this is vintage. The title of the article at the Daily Beast, which was published by me, Lachlan Cartwright, and Am Ronsley, is Dominion says it will sue my pillow CEO, Mike Lindell, over election fraud claims. This happened after we talked to one of Dominion's top attorneys, a guy named Tom Clare, on the record, who told us, oh, we are filing paperwork against Mike Lindell imminently. We are doing that. You can print that. <laughs> So you specifically use the word imminently. So as journalists do, you have to reach out to the person who is the subject of the story for comment. I called him to ask him, do you have any comment on this direct quote from Dominion's attorney? And he kept telling me all the disbelief he had that this would actually happen. I told him, like, Mike, it's not fake news. They just told me. He's like, well, I don't believe it's going to happen. I don't think they're actually going to do it. So you better call your buddies at Dominion back and get them to do it or else it's fake news. I'm like, Mike, they are... <sighs> Okay, fine. He's using you as like a legal courier service. Like he's asking you to like serve them in reverse, I think. It's bizarre. It's really a shooting the messenger situation. I mean, yeah. But okay, so this has been like a joke he's had with me whenever I've called him or whenever he's called me, apparently for more than 12 months now. Apparently he's using it as an applause line at political rallies now, which I, I'm like, Mr. My Pillow Man, if that's what you want to do, go with God. It makes no difference in my life. But I have to wonder how much of it is a joke and how much of it is he thinks the Daily Beast political reporter is in bed with Dominion concocting like a shit list of who to sue next in Trumplandia. Actually, you know what? When I say it out loud, that's almost certainly what a lot of them think. I mean, again, I do not have that type of clout. I don't know if I would want it, even if I could attain it. I don't know if I would want it, if it was ever possible for me to attain it. But setting that piece of the political rally aside, Kelly, I want to move on to what is a very special week in your professional and personal life right now. This is Flat Earth Book Release Week. In fact, we are recording this on the Tuesday in which your book, which you have been slaving over, working to get to print for the past two years. Is that correct? Yeah, this is the day. This is 2-22-22, and it's a Tuesday, and it's my book release day, an auspicious date. How are you feeling? Um, Honestly, just very tired. <laughs> like The thing about writing a book is a very private thing. As you know, you've done it yourself, and you work on it alone for a long time, and then suddenly it's out in the universe, and it doesn't contain any surprises. Like You know what's in the book. I encourage people to buy the book. I think it's fun, but and now I'm into this hype cycle for it. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I wrote that like last year. Well, 
I want to dive into it a little bit. Obviously, we here at Fever Dreams, I can't lie and say I'm totally unbiased here, but we encourage listeners to go pick up a copy of the book, try not to steal it, maybe get it from the library, or perhaps even buy it. <laughs> I want to talk about a piece of this book that you've been working on for the past couple of years, and it's about how the flat earthers have been alienating people. I mean, I'm not sure that people would immediately think of flat earth or conspiracy theorists and think of, oh, this is something that is a big tent movement of sorts. But again, you've been embedding with the flat earthers for the past two years or more. What can you tell us about how they're apparently turning people off? <laughs> Who would have guessed that this is not the most broad tent, most welcoming theory that you can start spouting off at the Thanksgiving table and people are going to start nodding their heads. No, I mean, one thing that I learned in the reporting of this book is that a lot of flat earthers come to the movement and stay in the movement because as they become more and more engaged, they push people away in their real lives. People say, flat earth, that's kind of weird. Let's talk about football or something like that. And sometimes this people talk about they're being persecuted for their beliefs, but I came across some anecdotes in the writing of this book that showed just how strange people can act in the thrall of these theories. So before we get into that, let's pimp this thing. What is the title of the book? And give us the log line here. Absolutely. It should be promoting everywhere I can. The title is Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. It's a book with a ton of beast DNA in it. Some of the earliest reporting in it came out of beast stories. Before we get into the nitty gritty of what you actually have here for us today, why did you become interested in this specific type of conspiracy theory movement? And also, as succinctly as you can phrase it, do you see a direct connection between that and sort of the conspiracy theory political hellscape we're all choking on in American society today? Well, as far as how I came to this theory, again, it was beast reporting. I don't think people maybe know how much of our jobs involves just sort of passively monitoring the weird parts of the internet. We often just sort of camp out on weird forums and don't engage, but just see what they're talking about. And around 2017, I started seeing a lot of extremist forums with flat earth content. And I'm like, there's no way they are genuine about this. Like, that's got to be a joke. And it turns out they were dead serious about it. And I thought flat earth was such an interesting parable about how people can believe anything because we see other conspiracy theories that might be more reality adjacent or you can understand someone's political motivations. But Flat Earth seemed so out there that I wanted to understand it better. And in doing so, I did find that a lot of conspiracy theories, regardless of how they seem on their face, have that same motivation and they have a lot of the same motivations. They have a lot of the same political drive People are drawn to them because they feel at odds with the reality that they live in and they want to be able to blame a person or a group that's persecuting them. So in a very real way, Flat Earth is almost interchangeable with a lot of the political conspiracy theories that we deal with every day at work. Is there a lot of overlap between the two communities or as you were maybe flicking at earlier, are they even alienating something like QAnon freaks? Yes and no. There is a lot of overlap. And I've actually seen that increase over my years hanging out with flat earthers. I saw a great Facebook post the other day and it just said Globers equal Antifa, which I thought was like really succinct. Amazing. 
Amazing. Amazing. I don't know what to say to that, except that's fucking fantastic. It's like eight conspiracy theories, like in, in like one and a half words. And you really have to just be so brain melted to understand what it means. And I, I got it. I'm like, OK, I'm not in a safe place right now. And I've also seen other conspiracy theorists make explicit outreach to Flat Earth. I was at a convention in 2019 and there were two women going around handing out QAnon jewelry. And I'm like, yo, are, are you Flat Earthers? And they're like, not really, but we just want to spread the word about QAnon. And we thought this would be a receptive community. That said, you asked about Flat Earthers putting people off. And yeah, that happens too. And like Q himself has done a Q&A, Q&A, where somebody asked him, they said, just to shut the Flat Earthers up, is Earth round? And Q says, yeah, of course it's round. We're not like those conspiracy nutters. But again, there was dissent in the comments. I don't want to make a 100% serious analogy here necessarily. But remember when Al-Qaeda was getting really mad at ISIS for making them look (laughs) bad? It's like these guys are too violent and too extreme for us. The PR damage is irreparable. (laughs) Yeah, I love when you have like splinter groups, the real hardcore ones, and there is infighting, there is outreach. They fall in and out of love with each other. But ultimately, I think they're compatible movements. And I swear, it is almost time for you to get into the juice of what you have here. But I just realized, in case it's not entirely self-explanatory, we should tell our listeners what flat earthers are. (laughs) Yeah, so it is fortunately, fortunately for my book title, a pretty self-explanatory theory. But basically, flat earthers believe that the planet is pancake-shaped. Antarctica functions as an ice wall around the edge, so you can't fall off so easily. And most of them claim, although there is some variation in the theory, that the planet is all condensed under a big dome, like a snow globe. and. the Simpsons movie. This when I know somebody in the Flat Earth movement who converted, not from the Simpsons movie, but from the Under the Dome, <laughs> the Under the Dome Stephen King adaptation. I remember that. Yes. He yes. went looking for clips on YouTube of this show when he found Flat Earth and became a Flat Earth influencer. Yeah. Very quickly, what is the theory for why the government and the media are keeping the truth of the shape of the earth under wraps. What could Bill Gates and George Soros possibly have to gain from this? It varies. You can take this in a couple directions. Some, would you guess, are extremely anti-Semitic. But basically, ever since the modern flat earth movement's birth in the 1800s, people have been using it to say that scientists and governments are lying to you about everything. They want you in the dark so you can be a sheep and believe in evolution and really just follow what you're told. And they say that discovering the flat earth reality will awaken you and liberate you. And the new world order doesn't want you to know the truth. To hell with the new world order. Enlighten me, Kelly. Read to me some passages from your new book. Sure. So this is from a passage where I'm talking about how flat earthers can often find themselves at odds with people and at odds with the law. The figure here is a guy named Nate Thompson, and he's a flat earth influencer. So of course, my old job. Yeah. Yep. This is my next job application. So here we go. Occasionally, flat earthers suspected persecution becomes very real prosecution. In February 2020, Thompson took his flat smacking act to an elementary school playground where he yelled at students who were playing at recess. Quote, I'm going to flat smack them. Guys, you don't live in a ball. The earth is flat. I've got some flyers for you right here. You can check out my YouTube. 
He announced in a live-streamed video while a teacher herded children away from him and the dog that he was walking on an extra-long leash. He dropped flat-earth leaflets over the playground fence as students hurried back into the school. I've been waiting to flat-smack this school for a while, he told the camera. You know, I might come back when they're out of school and they're all waiting for the bus and walking home and stuff because I just feel calm. Always a great thing to say about school children. Please go on. (laughs) Minutes later, he revealed that he was carrying pepper spray because he'd been, quote, just waiting for a dog to... He trailed off when he saw some women walking nearby. Ladies, ladies, can I chat with you? The women declined. Quote, they like ran away. I think they were scared of my dog. But you know what? I'm going to get their car. You best believe it, he said, attempting to shove a flyer under the car's gas cap. Two days later, police arrested him on a disorderly conduct charge for yelling at the children. Thompson claimed that he was reported by Globe Earth, quote, trolls who had posed as parents from the school. Quote, all these Globe Earthers stalk me like I'm Kim Kardashian, he told me. They just called police and made false claims because they're liars and have nothing better to do. I asked Thompson if he understood why his critics were upset. I mean, I have a young kid, I told him, and I'd be worried if a stranger on a playground started yelling. I didn't start yelling at anyone, he said. I just asked to give him a flyer, and the teachers acted like the flyers were a bomb and pulled the kids away, so I raised the tone of my voice because the kids were further away. That's what you do when you're outside. You don't whisper when you're outside because people are far away. That would look freaking stupid. You want to say it's weird to yell at kids? No, it's weird to whisper when you're outside. That's weird. Okay. There are a couple of things that first bubble to the top of my mind when trying to figure out how to respond to that. I think the first thing is how soon until this overlaps with the anti-CRT movement? Oh my goodness. Like they're not allowing this in schools because they don't allow you to say the entertaining words in Huck Finn or something like that. You know what? I need to point out the historical flip side that someone noted to me last night after reading the book. And that's that Flat Earth in the past has been in U.S. schools by local mandate. And I get into this in a chapter about a Flat Earth town, effectively a Flat Earth cult around the 1930s. And they were led by a charismatic leader, a self-described theocrat, and he mandated flat earth in schools, banned non-flat education. And it was what we might call critical round theory. (laughs) Okay, Kelly, we got to move on, regrettably. But before we do, tell the Fever Dreams audience where they can hear more about this in the coming days. If you are listening to this on Wednesday, the 23rd, I am thrilled to announce we have proof of life of Will Sommer. He is going to be speaking with me at a virtual event at Politics and Prose in D.C. It's 7 p.m. It's streaming online. We would love to see you all there and come listen to us talk about conspiracy theories. It's going to be a lot of fun. 7 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a virtual event. Wednesday, February 23rd. Fever Dreams listeners, Please come armed with all of your hate mail. You can turn this into a double feature. You can get more Kelly's awesome Flat Earth book. And also you can come and bring all your complaints directly to Will Kelly. And just Will and Kelly, leave me out of it. (laughs) That sounds eminently fair. Okay, moving on. Kelly, do you have a truth social account yet? The new social media network or alleged social media network spearheaded by our favorite former president, Donald J. Trump. No, and I haven't had the time to fill out the application all 10 times that's required because its website keeps glitching and crashing. So no, I'm not writing truth posts yet. What about you? No, because when people 
have been going over the past day or two to try to get an account, it gives you like a number as if you're in line at a New York deli in the 1990s. <laughs> I didn't think social media websites worked like that anymore. I know it's kind of a beta launch or soft launch or whatever they're calling it. It's an official launch and they have you stand in line for it. Say what you want about Facebook. You can knock them for unintentionally abetting genocide and oppression all over the world. But at least when you want an account, you can get an account, provided you're in a country that allows you to do that. I would say that it's a good marketing tool, right? Where there's hype. It's almost like you're waiting for a concert line, except that there's very real reason to doubt that these numbers are genuine. Hannah Gay is a researcher, just tweeted that she has two running waitlist numbers and one is like a hundred thousand places higher than the other. I mean, this is an app that's trying to build itself as the next big thing, but it seems like it can't really handle having more than a few users log on at this moment. Right. It sucks. It's buggy. Apparently nobody or close to nobody can get to work. What is your experience been in trying to log into this like rickety ass unstable website? <laughs> Honestly, I have not tried for more than a couple minutes. Our colleague, Zach Patrizio, has been much more patient than me. I think he's probably tried 11 or 12 times. I think he is on the wait list, so kudos. But, you know, one thing is that it's one thing to make fun of a broken website, but I think the site deserves a bit of scrutiny because anytime a politician or a party starts shilling their own proprietary social media app, it should raise real questions about how secure the user data is and how the data is going to be used. And one example, if you remember Parler, which no one uses now, I gave it my phone number a couple of years ago. And now the only activity from Parler is it texts me advertisements for Trump branded wines and NFTs. So you should kind of worry about what's going to happen with your data or at least think about it when you're giving it to this website. And to that effect, there have been a lot of hackers and security researchers who are already trying to dig into Truth Social, this Trump network, and see how it works. Is it going to be secure? Is it going to exploit your data? And one funny bit of reporting that has emerged is on The Daily Dot, where a reporter was able to register the real Donald Trump handle on a beta version, because yes, <laughs> it's so secure that he got the beta version leaked to him. And not only did he get that vaunted handle, but he found that there was some pretty suspect stuff in this secret beta testing version. And he found an early user who, again, not a public app, was just a ban account for the Chilean dictator Augusto. Okay, so the, all the beta users work at the Heritage Foundation, basically. <laughs> Can't make any allegations. It's possible that they were like testing suspect content. However, that's however, not suspect content anymore in a right wing social media network praising Augusta Pinochet's regime for like slaughtering leftists and throwing them out of head helicopters over the sea or wherever. That's just standard right wing mainstream memory right now. That's just what they did. Absolutely. Like, I think I think that's what I said before. It's probably giving them a lot of benefit of the doubt because those memes are everywhere. These throw the left out of helicopters memes, and they are completely in line with a Trumpist social media site. So we'll see if Pinochet fan 420 is manages to get off the wait list. Well, OK, so as we weeks ago, we broke some news here at the Daily Beast that this truth social again, stupid fucking name. 
for an alleged <laughs> social media network was actually partnering with Rumble, which tried to be like a Canadian hard right version of YouTube or something like that. So we'll see if this actually goes anywhere. It's obviously got the backing of the leader of the Republican Party. The Republican Party itself, like the national GOP, has been promoting this thing. And it's deep within the entrails now of something like Rumble. So we'll see if they can actually work any right-wingery magic out of this. But for the time being, all these different, like, pro-Trump and right-wing social media sites that these different MAGA critters have, including, of course, Donald Trump, have tried to get off the ground, just keep feeling like cheap imitations of each other, all different forms of, okay, how can we own the libs in a way that no liberal is going to actually care about somehow? And it's just an attempt to try to stick their thumbs into the eyes of Silicon Valley because they think Twitter... Facebook, and those guys are too liberal or too left-wing or too mean to people like Donald Trump. I know we've said this before, but I can't emphasize enough how much of their brand, how much of their popularity of their ideas in America and abroad, and how much of the success of their movements, both nascent and longstanding, would evaporate if Facebook disappeared or if they got to do to Section 230 and to Facebook what Trump and so many other Republicans say that they want to do. The reason so many of these things have flourished is because of the very thing that they pretend to hate so much or maybe genuinely hate so much today. And it's really funny. I don't know if that's the right adjective for it. They already have such a privileged place on Facebook, but they want to be the extra special child. They want like two gold medals. And I think <laughs> they should just settle a little bit. Okay. So moving on, Swin, who is our guest this week? And is she extremely funny on the internet? I would definitely say so. She is pretty, pretty funny online. This week, we're very happy to welcome actress Dylan Galula, who some of you might remember from the Netflix hit Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. She also co-hosts what I would say for my money is a pretty hilarious podcast as well. And she's here to tell us all about it and much more. Stick around. Fever Dreams, like all Daily Beast journalism, exists because of the generous support of Beast Inside members, the people who pay to access Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Join now and get unlimited access to Beast Reporting, plus access to members-only podcast episodes, events, and much more. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com today to see what you've been missing. Okay, so just FYI, in preparation for each episode of this podcast, we routinely conduct market research in order to ascertain how to best mentally incept our listeners and also how best to please our omnipresent corporate overlords. In our research, we discovered that there is a shocking overlap in the Venn diagram of Fever Dream subscribers, Manhattan and Brooklynite theater dorks, and also Gina Fey superfans. 
So, in the spirit of those intersections, this week we welcome Dylan Gilula to the show, an actress who you may remember as playing the adorably plutocratic teenager Zan Frippy on Netflix's Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And when she's not on the independent film festival circuit, you can catch her on the critically acclaimed rom-com I Want You Back, which is now streaming on Amazon. You can follow her at Dylan Gilula and also subscribe to her comedy podcast, Lecture Hall, on Patreon. Dylan, Welcome to Fever Dreams. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Hi. Okay, so first thing we wanted to ask you about was this comedy podcast you co-host called Lecture Hall. I think I can credibly say it has a bit of a, uh, shall we say, cult following online these days. I'm a latecomer to your show, but for what it's worth, it was written up last year by New York Magazine, and I quote, While the tone of Lecture Hall remains dopey, each conversation thrums with wit and cultural curiosity. Tell us more about this cultural curiosity. It's interesting that they say cultural curiosity because it's almost always about, like, how do monkeys pick things up, that sort of thing. It's, It's two very, very unwell people talking to each other for an hour and you can pay $5 for it if you want. Who is this other person? My dear friend, Brithy Gupta. She's a writer for The Simpsons. We do comedy stuff together and she's my horrible (laughs) co-host. I feel like this is like a Twitter comedy super group. Like you guys are both like comedy heavy hitters online. How did that podcast come together? Wow. First of all, thank you so much. You are incorrect. Uh, I would not categorize it that way. She's buttering you up when we really hit you with the hostile questions. Those are coming, so stick around. How did it come together? We've been friends for like five years when we could really work. Oh, we could monetize talking to each other probably. And it turns out you can, which is cool. I guess we were bored and coronavirus, the famous disease hit America. And you can actually just record audio on Zoom and the rest is history. So we talk a lot about conspiracy theories on here, and I know this played a role in your podcast as well. And I know you've recently spoken about Havana syndrome, which is pretty contentious online between people who think it's a legitimate ailment and people who think it's just cricket noises. I was wondering, do you have any good conspiracy theory fodder to share with us? Beyond Havana syndrome? I'm personally happy to talk about Havana syndrome as well. I am too, because I think it's the official electoral position on Havana syndrome is that it's very funny. I think it's very funny that politicians are hearing a noise that makes them have diarrhea. I think that's very funny. It's bizarre because it was like CBS or something released an audio clip of what they said was the noise that is setting people off. And one, they had to have a disclaimer saying that this recording will not cause you to get brain worms. <laughs> but two, it like it sounded like crickets. And if it is like a legitimate thing and everyone is dismissing it as cricket noises, including me, I'm so sorry. That must be terrible. But it sounds so fake. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe it's them like experiencing guilt or something. Like, I don't know. It's some, it's really funny that it's only affecting the government. <laughs> I don't know. So last quick question about Lecture Hall right now. How do you generally describe what you two talk about for a given episode? Okay, well, I spend like a significant amount of time researching a topic that is of interest to me. This week I did Dr. Phil. There's a Dr. Phil episode? Yeah, like, I mean, it's like anything that, I, that I'm that i like, oh, what's that about, like Dr. Phil or, or like 
carrier pigeons or cereal mascots or anything that I'm like, how does that work? Like ancient comedy, ancient Grecian comedy, like those sort of things. And then Brothy looks up the Wikipedia page while we're talking and goes, okay, what do you want to know? And reads like two lines. What the hell's going on with Dr. Phil? What do we need to know? What is the lecture hall dialectic on Mr. Phil? He played college football. He has a crazy house. He, oh, The reason he got on Oprah is because he was a trial consultant for her beef industry trial, which is that she, yes, apparently in the 90s, she said on her show that she was never going to eat a burger again because it was giving her mad cow disease. And that's very funny. Another real thing. Another thing that... <laughs> We really had to be worried. Exactly. Bad cow disease, which I think might be what's going on with me and why I was late this morning. But yes, she was like, you're going to get mad cow disease. And the beef industry, the Texas cattle industry sued her. And then one of the consultants on her team was Dr. Phil. And she was like, this guy rules and was like, come be on my show every Tuesdays and talk about relationships. And then here we are. Remember when people wanted Oprah to be president? How many weird doctors has she launched? Because Dr. Phil, is she responsible for Dr. Oz? Because that's a black mark. <laughs> oh, she had a hand in the creation and building up of the Dr. Oz franchise. Yes. It's like the butterfly flapping its wings and suddenly you have Dr. Oz running for Congress in Pennsylvania. It's it's like, can we get a do-over? <laughs> oh my God. I forgot about that. In Pennsylvania. I'm from Pennsylvania, so I take responsibility for that. <laughs> so you tweeted something uh, recently that sort of resonated with me because I see it a lot. And you wrote about when you even remotely voice a political opinion online, people go lightly insane. And they say, what does a Netflix actress have to do with politics? Like, what do you know about this? Can you explain what that dynamic is like? And who are the worst culprits who are tweeting this at you? I would say, first of all, you're always correct. If you reply to me and say, what do you know? The answer is nothing. I have a sixth grade education. I literally did not graduate high school. Yeah, I feel like that's just being on Twitter. Like, I think if your tweet gets more than a thousand likes, you have people arguing about body positivity in the comments. <laughs> and that's just sort of the nature of it. It's very weird. I, it's really weird. I wish that I could just make my joke very strange. I feel like people treat it like a thread rather than this is my joke. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, what's our, what's this topic that we're discussing? It's very weird. People like to riff. Absolutely. I remember I tweeted something ages ago about like, oh, you know, the weather's nice. Everyone's dressing like they're going to their five-year reunion. And it picked up and people were like, you go to your high school reunion. It's like, no, I don't. That's not the point. Who opened this up for discussion anyway? What people have against five-year high school reunions i don't know my school didn't even have one we did not have our shit together <laughs> we're not uh, okay we're not meeting up but that's beside the point yeah that tweet resonated with me because it's like when you tweet something it's like you're stepping up to an open mic and all the hecklers are like boo you were on a hulu series it's so funny because i'm one of those people because now i'm like five years is too soon for a reunion <laughs> Ken is the first one. I have Facebook for that. I know what everyone's doing. I don't need to commute to Rochester, New York. Thank you. In terms of some of the things that I think may be a little bit more serious that you have posted online that sort of give us a deeper portrait of who you are, the political persona. I remember years ago, you wrote something to the effect of you will be voting for Bernie Sanders even after he dies. In an interview several years ago, you referred to the current American political system as a white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchal death machine. I'm only somewhat paraphrasing here. Why so glum, Dylan? Why so glum? I think this last thing you're referring to sounds like I think that it's unfortunate that some of us get interviewed on camera when we're like 20. But <laughs> I do think that I mean, I am going to keep voting for Bernie Sanders until he's been dead for, like I said, 10 years, five years too soon. It's a respectful mourning period. Yeah. Yes. What's that about? 
I want everybody to have free healthcare. I'm just being facetious. Oh, okay. This is not to be included in when we actually put out the episode. But yeah, I was just asking you just to like tease that out a bit, like tell us more about your political perspective. I'm not criticizing you. My brother is his whole life. He's devoted to, he's a community organizer in Chicago and he works a lot with the DSA and stuff. And I guess maybe that that is probably a part of it is that I'm an actor who makes self tapes. And I feel a lot of guilt about that. There's just like unimaginable social ills everywhere. And the people who want to do something about it are systematically unable to get elected on purpose. To that effect, I know that you do a lot of mutual aid fundraising around LA. Can you tell us about some of those projects and what they support? Oh yeah, it's so amazing. There's this group of women that like feed people in MacArthur Park a million times a week and they feed like 300 people every time and it's amazing. But yeah, it's like horrible in Los Angeles. Like fucking Eric Garcetti, absolute monster, like loves to like displace people so that, that they can't get like medicine that they need. And that's what it's about. Like when he like shuts parks down, it's like not even about like getting them out. It's about like just disconnecting them from services so that they stop showing up for things that help them stay alive. These women are fighting them and trying to keep them alive. And it's truly a war between them and the government to help people. Well, can you tell us a little bit more about the groups you work with? Feel free to give them a shout out here so our listeners can track them down if they'd like to. Oh, great. Yeah. Just if you go to this woman's Instagram, eva.woods, E-V-A dot D-O-T, Woods at Instagram, you can see that she really runs this mutual aid program. There's like a real direct aid. She does something every single day. Like she has like, she set up like a bodega in Koreatown where you can go and shop for what you need. Like we just did a drugstore day that was like huge where you could get like ibuprofen, condoms, masks, food, conditioner, like everything you would get at a drugstore drugstore you could like shop a drugstore for free in the park like those sort of things and she does these like giant events like that like she's gonna do huge like clothing drive like next week she's amazing yeah so if you just want to follow along with her she's always doing something and a hundred percent of the money goes to her like truly if you venmo the venmo things which are all over my instagram you can see them as well like every single thing it's like i am the one like handing that money to directly to a person who needs it so i like to send my money there rather than a charity that's some sort of shadow disney corporation well something i want to dig in a little bit more that you mentioned earlier. You were talking about the sort of guilt you were feeling about the position you have right now, and which is obviously a radical 180 from where most other people in the country stand. You were talking a little bit about your own history, sixth grade education, the work that your brother does. Can you tell us a little bit more about your family and what you grew up with that sort of shaped your political and social outlook today? Right. I think my mom holds the same political beliefs. Like, I think that she definitely, I feel like that's probably what it is, is that I never had any sort of like American exceptionalism growing up, even though like I was alive at the time of like my, my school cafeteria was like, you have to call them freedom fries if you want to have French fries. That was so crazy. <laughs> Do you guys remember that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was the funniest fucking thing. <laughs> That's so cool. Every time I think that like we're in a very particular place in like discursive brain rot, I remember that we've been in comparable positions before and it's not unprecedented. Exactly. Yeah, that was so funny. Was that a long time? Because I was like, a, I was a small child, but like it felt like that was a while, but it might have only been like a month. I think we're the same age, so I don't know that I can offer a uh, cutting perspective here. But you know, when you're that age, it does feel like a long time. I think it's a very formative period in your life. And you'll always kind of remember that, even if you're not actively calling them freedom fries. Right. <laughs> 
I still do. So one thing we talk about on here is that, and maybe you can relate, is that podcasters are really the one unshackled voice of freedom. We are the only voice of truth. I'm speaking, of course, about the Joe Rogans of the world. We are obviously the most uncensored. And I was uh, hoping you could speak to how powerful do you think podcasters are? I think that they're extraordinarily powerful. I think that I relate to Joe Rogan. I feel like I'm also like a dumb idiot who wants to know about stuff. But then like whatever you tell me is my opinion also. I do relate to that quite a bit. I think that's very true. I think that's probably one of the reasons he's so compelling is that he will just kind of like mimic what the guest is saying. And he's a blank slate. Yeah. And he hosted Fear Factor. And I loved that show. And he was a star on news radio. I fucking love that show. Another oh, NBC yeah. masterpiece. So am I to deduce that you have an ivermectin episode on Lecture Hall? Oh, we could do ivermectin. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't do ivermectin. <laughs> Literally doing ivermectin. Yeah, why not? You won't have any worms. Oh, my God. I mean, I have to think of one of these fucking things every week. So eventually it's going to be ivermectin. It's, we've built a little prison for ourselves where we have to do this all the time. Area 51, the Patrice Lumumba assassination, and... What's that? Oh. All right. Okay, Google that after we're done recording this. Kelly, what's your pitch for the next lecture hall series? Oh my goodness. Put me on the spot here. Um, there are a lot of really weird conspiracy theories that I think are genuinely fun. I feel like some vintage theories have kind of gone out of vogue and I'd like to see them come back. Bigfoot, I feel like, was pretty innocuous. I feel like a lot of conspiracy theories these days are really dark. and They're about, you know, the satanic cabal coming to drink your blood. And I'd like to return to kind of a more Bigfoot era. So I would nominate a Bigfoot episode. Oh, Yeah. That's Bigfoot's a good idea. I've always had my list for a theory, which is that like monkeys took mushrooms and became people. I mean, that's not a theory. That's just what happened. Yeah, no. Animals yeah. do drugs. Yeah, they do drugs. It's incredible. Dolphins will like go and like get deliberately stung by, I think, pufferfish or something so they can trip for a little bit. It's innovative. Yeah, it's like, look, it's, there's no harm in relaxing after the day. Unwind from difficult dolphin tasks. So one of the last things we want to ask you here, whenever we get someone on the podcast who actually does work in comedy, as opposed to Kelly and I, who, I don't know, try to cosplay the role of a semi-comedian once a week, is so over the past half decade, particularly with the advent of Trumpism, it is our assessment that mainstream comedy, particularly political sketch comedy, has utterly failed. They were not up to the task over the past half decade, particularly not in this country. Do you agree with that assessment or do you think we're being too harsh? And if you do agree, why do you think that was the case? Because Donald Trump is so funny and he's deliberately funny. Like he knows what he's doing and he's being funny. And that's something that a lot of comedians are not able to do. To be deliberately funny? Yes, to attempt to be funny and succeed. But it's so funny. Like he'll like when he like would wish the haters and losers happy holidays or like when he said like he could see Barney Frank's nipples. Very, very disrespectful. Like, those lines do resonate with me. They are well-delivered. I miss him on Twitter so much. He's, like, one of the funniest people on Twitter. That's what I mean. Like, we had, like, a really funny Twitter comedian as president, and then people were like, oh, it's the Cheeto man. And it's like, I want to see what he has to say because you're not being funny. It's very hard to parody because, like, in some ways, he's already kind of a joke. And, like, of course, it's not funny when it comes to the actual policy implications of that but you can throw a punch at someone who's not expecting it but he's always been in that like bad stand-up delivery stance 
Well, he's like he's like a reality show villain and he, he knows what he's doing and like he's like on visa on 90 day fiance that's my take i hope everybody follows along is that a reference that's too young for me i'm watching 90 day fiance i have no idea what that is. so i'm assuming everyone else is as well and i'm like you know on visa unlike the two of you i'm in my 30s <laughs> i hate to reveal that on this show but i actually don't know what that is it's fun it's worth your time it's a reality show on tlc where it follows like absolute freaks that are like i fell in love with somebody online who lives in russia who's a robot and then they go to russia and it turns out the person's real and then you get to watch them meet each other in person <laughs> probably a pretty apt like a geopolitical metaphor in some way so yeah i could totally see that grafted onto the trump presidency okay <laughs> Last question we have for you, Dylan. For years, you worked alongside Mike Lindell's alleged lover, Jane Krakowski, on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. So what was that like? And were you invited to the MyPillow Presents wedding? I don't know anything about that. I know that I met her and she's really nice. I don't know anything. I doubt that that's true. I believe when she said it's not true because she's pretty normal and nice. To be fair, we are kind of pulling your leg a little bit there because we've talked about it on this show before. We've tried to do some reporting on it to figure out the truth or non-truth of it. I really don't think it's true either. So you're saying right now under oath that Mike Lindell never came around set to try to charm the cast of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Not to my knowledge. <laughs> it's a big place. Anything's possible. I think it was like I wouldn't come out of my trailer, so I wouldn't know. You know what I mean? Like I would lock myself in there and say I'm not coming out. I'm not coming out. Those sort of things. There's still more conspiracy fodder. There's still more digging to do. <laughs> Yes. Well, Dylan, again, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for making your Fever Dreams debut today. Come back anytime. And for our listeners who are interested in more of what she has to say, particularly when she gets around to the ivermectin and horse paste episode, you can subscribe to Lecture Hall on Patreon. Dylan, God bless. Thank you so much for having me. Moving on to our beloved recurring segment, Fresh Hell, Kelly Wilde, you are here to give us a report from inside, or if not inside, at least on the outer banks of the fringes of something called AFPAC, not to be confused with the insurance duck, if I have the company correct. <laughs> Kelly, is this the worst thing that's happening in Orlando, Florida this week, or is it only one of the worst? This is up there with the systemic exploitation of Disney workers. Uh, 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 or that's not in Orlando. It's not? Disney is outside of Orlando. Oh, wow. Wow. I, okay. I will not have that be said of Orlando on this wow. show. So please go on. You're on thin ice, Kelly Wilde. Okay, okay. Disney lawyers disengage. Do not listen. This is unobjectionably the worst thing happening in Orlando right now. Not Disney related at all. This is a white nationalist conference coming to town and it has the backing of multiple elected officials. This is America First PAC or AFPAC, not to be confused with AFLAC. And it bills itself as CPAC for people who think CPAC isn't racist enough. It's organized by white nationalist Nick Fuentes, and it's previously seen attendees repeatedly throwing Nazi salutes. The whole point of this conference is to push the mainstream GOP into more explicitly hateful ideologies, and it, in some cases, with some officials, seems to be succeeding. Right. Okay. It's explicitly racist. This isn't even like CPAC racist, where it's like imbued in the mainstream GOP DNA, but they at least deny that they're doing race science or that they have the calipers in like their gym bag or something. What's special about AFPAC is that, correct me if I'm wrong, they're very proud of the racism. 
very proud. Oh, absolutely. That's kind of the highlight here. And like, let's rattle off some speakers because they have Baked Alaska, who is a January 6th insurrectionist previously arrested for allegedly defacing a Hanukkah display on video. They have Gavin McGinnis, founder of the Proud Boys. So this is not your run-of-the-mill GOP racism. This is pretty unambiguous. Right. I think you've described them before as Nazi clout chasers, which is both my least favorite type (laughs) of clout chaser and also the most annoying kind of Nazi. Yeah, it's absolutely Nazis who are also live streaming and wearing stupid sunglasses. It's a confluence of evil and annoying. It's not just these weirdos. It's some politicians now. This event has the endorsement of politicians like Arizona State Senator Wendy Rogers, who hyped the event on Telegram. And just last year, Arizona Rep Paul Gosar spoke there. Both of whom Donald Trump has lavished praise on recently. Wendy Rogers is a Trump-backed official right now, explicitly Trump endorsed, if I'm recalling correctly, like these people are not the zeros in the movement that they would be even 5, 10, 15 years ago. No, Wendy Rogers, I mean, she's a state level politician, but she way outraises other politicians in the state because she has this Trumpist backing. So it's not exactly clear which politicians are going to speak at this, again, effectively neo-Nazi event. This year, but Wendy Rogers hyped it. AFPAC circulated a flyer claiming that she and Carrie Lake, who's a leading gubernatorial candidate in Arizona, were speaking. Lake said that wasn't true, that it was a Photoshop, but Rogers is still playing footsie with the movement. Joe Arpaio, former Maricopa County, Arizona sheriff, he is openly speaking there. No regrets. Another guy Donald Trump loves, of course. Yeah. He came to his rescue, of course. Yeah, no, that's right. He's supposed to be in jail right now, isn't he? Funny that. Swin, though, I think my takeaway here is not just that, okay, this is a stain on the GOP, but what the fuck is happening to the Arizona GOP? This is like a weird Arizona issue. And I think the thing, the incident that underscored this the most for me was I mentioned that Baked Alaska, who again is awaiting trial for breaking into the Capitol on January 6th, is also facing charges for defacing this Hanukkah display and shouting on a live stream something like, no more Hanukkah, only Christmas. And where he was doing this was outside the Arizona Capitol building where Wendy Rogers works. If that's not a sign of the guardrails coming off, I don't know what is. I remember one of my old jobs when I was working as a reporter at Mother Jones Magazine's Washington, D.C. Bureau. And one of my colleagues, Tim Murphy, wrote this article that was titled America's Top 50 worst state legislatures or something like that. And obviously the joke being, and something like the Arizona GOP aggressively underscores this, is that the laboratory of democracies are indeed the states. And I'm just gonna let that stand without further comment. That is the disturbing note I think we need to take into our week. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and other colleagues at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media or at... Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details your family dinner table if you'd like to follow us on twitter i'm at will summer and swin is at swin 24 come say hello this podcast is produced by jesse cannon with music by brian demiglio thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time